we just thank the band. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Love it. Welcome Bridgeport, Middletown, Hartford. Come on, make some noise. Say hi. We love you guys. Good morning. Welcome to church. If you're new to City Church, we're one church, four cities, and we want to start another one in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We've been in a really compelling series uh, this, uh, this last few weeks, launching into 2017 with a series called Golden. Golden. And we've been talking about this Olympian spirit that lives inside of you. This longing not just to finish the race, but to get the prize. That Christ in you propels you to greatness. And so what we've been looking at is seven different disciplines, core habits that when uh, put into our lives, transform us, awaken us, propel us into greater things for God. And so hopefully you've been following along with us the last three weeks. They've been pretty challenging. And hopefully you're taking those challenges and making them a part of your 2017. And so we've looked at first week, we looked at spending time with God in the morning. And we challenged you to take the first hour of your day to seek God. How are you doing so far? All right. Whoa. Okay, good. Good. Just step at a time. Just take the next step. Step at a time. Then the next challenge we talked about was sharing your faith weekly. I've never met a Christian who shared their faith every week and was not burning with a passion and a love for Jesus. So that was the second week. The third week was to act on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. To act on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That was that, that third challenge. And so today, we're shifting gears a little bit. We're getting even more serious. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 7. Verse 1. Are you ready? All right, good. Turn to your neighbor. Tell him, you look really nice today. Come on, just let's, let's start with encouragement. You look so nice. You really do. You look so nice. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words, with her smooth words. I'm going to title today's sermon. I went through so many different titles, like I really had a title crisis here. But uh, for me, titles are important because they kind of sum up what I want to get to uh, at each sermon. So the title for today's sermon, and I need you just to help me, so you have to tell someone around you uh, my title, okay? Is that all right? You can do that in the back. Everybody good with that up in the balcony? Yeah, you have to tell someone my title or the ushers will escort you out. Uh, the title for the sermon is I've Got Boundaries. Go ahead and just turn to somebody and tell them, I've got boundaries. I've got boundaries. I, I do. I've got, I've got some boundaries. I've got boundaries. Don't you love it when a boundary is broken or when a record is broken? My middle son, Noah, is obsessed with breaking his water bottle flip record. All right? So he lives to flip a water bottle right now. And every day he's like, Dad, 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 nine, Dad, 12, Dad. In the first few days I had no idea what he was talking about. Now I kind of understand the whole process. But, but he's always flipping a water bottle and counting, and he's trying to break his record. It's exciting to watch a record be broken. You know, if you watch the Olympics last year or whatever, and you see someone break a record, or you watch a particular sport and you see that person break a record, or maybe it's in the gym. You know, you break a personal record, and that's exciting. America really is obsessed with record breaking. I mean, we didn't want to just get to the moon. We had to, be, we had to be first, right? I mean, everything about the American culture is we need to break a record, whether it be the newest technology or the latest fashion. We want to be on the cutting edge. There's something compelling about a record breaker, right? Something compelling about a person who breaks 
boundaries. I remember when I was dating my wife, I wanted to show her that I was the boundary-breaking kind of guy. I still date my wife, but this was before we were married, okay? We were probably 20 years old, and we were at my uncle's house. He has a boat on a river, and so he took us out on this boat, and it's already a bit of a magical moment, you know, this couple kind of dating and getting to know each other, and we're out on this boat together, and uh, Endless Love was playing on the radio there in the boat, and, uh, and so we get on these tubes, and he starts pulling us on these tubes, and so we're on different tubes, you know, and he's pulling us on the, on the boat, with the boat on the tubes. You know what I'm talking about, like water tubing, sport, whatever. And so I'm there, and she's there, and I'm looking at her, and water's splashing in her face. You know, it's really romantic. And I'm just like, you know, hey, I'm over here on my tube. And she's over on her tube, and it just dawned on me, this is the time to show her I'm a boundary stretcher. I'm a, I'm a boundary breaker. So I yelled to her. It's pretty loud. I yelled to her, I'm going to jump on your tube. And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah, it's going to be great. And I'm imagining that I'm going to like, Boom, you know, and like just land like, hey, you know, like just like the man, like you are so the man. And so here we go. I jump off my tube. True story. I jump off my tube and I didn't glide quite as I had imagined myself gliding. You know, I wasn't quite as athletic as I thought. And so as I land, I don't really land and kind of cuddle her. Instead, I kind of land and launch her, you know, like I, I like shoot her. And at the same time, my tube had begun tumbling because I had jumped off it. And it was now like, you know, like the Indiana Jones wrecking ball coming through. And so just as she gets launched, wham, she gets hit with my tube in midair and the rope wraps around her head and throws her into the water so my uncle stops the boat and we get her up on the boat and we're like are you okay are you okay all of her earrings have been ripped out of her ear all right and uh, and she's got a bloody nose and a black eye and she can't see herself and she looks at me she goes do I look okay I'm like yeah you look you look great you look fine you know some boundaries are not meant to be stretched friends some boundaries are not meant to be broken. Not every area of life needs to be stretched, okay? Not every boundary needs to be pushed. If there's one area in our culture today where we are obsessed with pushing boundaries, it's the area of sexuality. Oh yeah, we're going there today. So just get all awkward in your seat with me already because it's gonna get intense. The boundary of sexuality is a boundary that people in our day have become consumed with pushing. Pushing the boundaries of sexuality in a thousand different ways. It wasn't always this way. I think human beings have always pushed boundaries. But in the area of sexuality, especially the last 30 to 50 years, the world has changed. With the internet and the growth of all different various options sexually, the boundaries of sexuality keep moving and the options keep expanding. Right now, there are about 450 million pornography sites on the internet. And that number grows every single day. Please don't clap. There are 40 million Americans who would say that they are addicted to looking at those sites. 70% of men, and I think the other 30%, a portion are lying, and 30% of women, and there's probably more than that, admit to a consistent addiction to pornography. But pornography is not enough. It's not just images or videos that people desire. People desire intimate relationship. And so it's very common in our culture. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's very common in our culture to sleep with multiple partners, to experiment with different things sexually, to have a one-night stand, to move from person to person to person. And it doesn't you know, come across in our world today as a big deal. We're told as long as you're safe, right, as long as you're responsible, then it's just a part of life. Now, you would think that in the society in which we live, that we would be the most sexually satisfied generation of all time. 
But sociologists tell us that this generation, the people alive today, are not the most sexually satisfied. In fact, the opposite is true. They are the most sexually unsatisfied generation of all time. See, all of the different options that we've created, all the different passions that we've pursued, has not made us happier and has not made us more satisfied, but it has in fact made us more empty. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them, I got boundaries. I got boundaries. See, those who regularly view pornography statistically are more likely to get divorced, more likely to suffer financial loss, less likely to be sexually satisfied, more likely to have high levels of anxiety, a life of secrecy and isolation. Those who sleep with multiple people, who have multiple sexual partners, have lower self-esteem on average, have higher levels of shame and hopelessness, and are more susceptible to other addictions. You doing okay so far? Scientists tell us that when you have a sexual experience, it forever changes your brain. Your brain is actually transformed by the experience. Dopamine is released into your brain, which intensifies your focus. Norepinephrine expands your memory. Testosterone gives you a greater future appetite. All chemicals released during a sexual experience. Oxytocin provides this tranquility, and serotonin brings upon this calm. And the result of all these chemicals being released in your brain is that whether it's an image or a video or a person, you just got glued to it. So what happens if you spend a few years of your life gluing yourself and then ripping yourself off and then gluing yourself and then ripping yourself off and then gluing yourself and then ripping yourself off? You get ripped off. That's what happens. That just came to me right there, by the way. I was like a... Thank you. The freedom you thought you had sexually actually becomes the prison that binds you. And you wonder why you can't feel. You wonder why you feel numb. You wonder why you can't seem to have close relationships. You have a hard time trusting. You wrestle with anxiety and you wrestle with fear. You feel like you're insecure about who you are. Maybe your philosophy needs to be adjusted. See, the gospel provides for us the good news of Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It provides for us a radical alternative to the options we see in culture. And let me tell you, it is radical. So if you're here, maybe it's your first time, you're like, dang, I came on sex week. Yeah, you came on sex week. But, but if you're here and you're like, man, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. This is all crazy to me. I understand that this is going to sound crazy. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that the option you're currently pursuing ain't working out that well. And so what we see in the scriptures is a radical departure from what we see in our culture. First, the scriptures claim that sexuality is not the core of your identity. That whether you're attracted to this person, that person, whatever it might be, the various attractions you may feel are not in fact the core of your identity. The core of your identity is that you were made for God. You were made for him, all right? So in other words, you are actually for his purpose, not your own purposes. Now the trick with that is, if you pursue your own purposes without first being for him, the things you pursue don't actually end up satisfying, they end up killing. If you pursue them through the lens in which he provides, they become a great joy. You were created for God and for relationship. Now the relationship that God provides is through his son. His death on the cross and his resurrection provides actual relationship with your creator. Because of his sacrifice, I can now stand in his righteousness. And when I stand in his righteousness, God deems me perfect on behalf of the record of his son. And when I am perfect in his sight, I am justified and adopted. I am forgiven. I am received. And then I have new life. 
And so this new life enables me to have relationship with my creator. And sexuality is not an evil thing, but a gift from God, a sacrament given to display his nature to the world. That's what sexuality is, in fact. And there are two roads that God provides for the expression of sexuality that give him glory. All right? Two. Two's not a lot. The first is this. I declare the sufficiency of Christ through a life of celibate singleness. I declare the sufficiency of Christ. In other words, I know some of those words are like, what do those mean? In other words, I am single and I don't sleep with anybody and I don't pursue sexual pleasure in a relationship with a person or by myself because I'm declaring through my life that my singleness is a decree of God's sufficiency, that he is more than enough for me. That's one road that God provides. The second road is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman called marriage, a monogamous marriage where one is committed to the other until death do we part. And that displays the faithfulness of Christ to his church and the church to Christ. And so I either display his sufficiency through singleness or his faithfulness through marriage. Those are my two options. All right? Now, not a popular view. I mentioned that. I remember years ago, I was in the Philippines, and we were crossing this island. We were on one side of the island, we had to get to the other side of the island. And I remember asking our guide, I said, well, which, road are we, which roads are we taking? What's our path? And he said, ah, he laughed at me. I said, why are you laughing? He said, there's only two roads on this island. I said, there's two roads on the island? He said, yeah, there's just two roads. We're going to take this one. I thought, wow, that's kind of limiting, isn't it? I mean, just two roads? And he said, listen, if you wander off this road, you end up in the jungle. You end up in the jungle, you get stung by a mosquito. You get stung by a mosquito, you die in the jungle. Which road do you want to take? Let's take the road. Let's take the road. We'll go on the road. That was the plan. See, what I'm saying today is that though it may seem limiting, look around. Look around you. There's a sea of empty people, broken hearts, broken families, fatherless kids, single moms. Look around. Look around. Maybe it's time to consider that God's boundaries are actually not to limit your pleasure, but to unlock your joy. For the follower of Jesus, some of us in the room, you're not a follower of Christ. You're here, but you, somebody invited you, and, and you're angry at them now. And, and you're here, and you're just checking this place out, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. This stuff is crazy. I would just encourage you, as I share this this morning, just keep an open heart. Open your heart to God. Say, God, show me, show me. Even pray that, even in your own quiet heart right now. But if you're here and you're a Christian, most of what I've said is probably not a huge surprise to you, though you may have been avoiding its truth, right? But most of us, if you've read the Bible, you've wrestled with some of the more challenging passages of Scripture that leave these two paths open to us. You know, if, if that's where you're at, then you've probably said at one point or another, okay, God, I'm going to surrender my sexuality to you. Surrendering to Christ means I surrender all to Christ, which means I also have to surrender my sexual impulses. So God, I surrender my sexuality to you. The only challenge is, as soon as you make the decision to surrender your sexual impulses to God, your impulses start leading you in another direction. Anybody say amen to that? Not too loudly so your wife doesn't hear you. Your impulses lead you in another direction, right? And so there is this thing that the Bible calls temptation. 
temptation, which means something is seeking to allure you away from one of the two roads that God provides, celibate singleness or monogamous marriage. And so those desires will come upon you quickly and will often surprise you. And many of us have very frequently taken roads out into the jungle looking for another option. Well, Proverbs chapter 7 in the Bible is an incredible personification of the way temptation works. And it's displayed through this, this woman who tempts this man. And so what I want to do today is read a little bit of this story and help you see the process of temptation so that you can be free. Everybody doing okay so far? Okay, here we go. Verse 6. For the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple, perceived among the youth, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her, what's the next word? Corner. Taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, a woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily like a coyote of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market. And at every, what's the next word? Corner, she lies in wait. So there's this picture we see, right? And of course, it's not like being anti-woman or pro-man. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just giving us a picture. And in this particular instance, the man is the idiot and the woman is the temptress. And so this is just the, the personification of temptation. This could be applied the opposite way, where the man is the temptress and the woman is the sucker. But either way, this is the way it's described here. And the first thing we see is that the young man is just passing along. Another translation says he was sauntering. You should never saunter, right? He's just sauntering like, I got nowhere to be, nothing to do. I'm just hanging out. I got no plans. I got no responsibility. I'm just hanging around. That's his first problem, right? And then the next thing we see is that he is at a particular time of day, and I believe that's important as well. It says that it was at the twilight, at the end of the day. He's worked a long day. He's worked nine hours. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's burnt out. He's in the grind nine to five trying to make the bills work, trying to make ends meet, trying to do this, trying to do that. He's tired, and he's exhausted, and it's in this position that he finds himself now tempted, right? And so just put it into your world for a second. You're at the office, and you know, you love your wife. You've been married 19 years. It's been a good marriage. There's been ups and downs and challenges, but it's overall good, and you're not looking to be unfaithful in any way, and there's this girl at the office, and she flirts with you and talks once in a while, but it's harmless. It's no big deal. And then just one day, she, she happens to come by, and she bends over to pick something up, and you get a view of her that maybe you wouldn't normally take, and all of a sudden, in your mind, you start to consider things. You start to say, well, maybe, maybe. Or you're having a hard time being single and, and there's this other guy that uh, you used to know from back in the day. But he's been married for a few years and, and you find yourself on Facebook and you're looking at him and, and, and he's, uh, he's having a hard time in his marriage. And things are getting a little rocky in his marriage and, and, and you realize that you still have his number. And you're, you're sitting there and you're single and you're looking at him, this married guy on the Facebook. And he looks so strong and so handsome and so together and so with it. And you start thinking, his wife's probably a real jerk. Maybe I, should, maybe I should just message him. Maybe I should just say hi. Or it's late at night and you're tired because you worked a long day or you spent your day studying for a test or whatever it might be. And you're exhausted and, and you're worn out and you're watching Netflix and some show comes on that maybe has a, a little uh, sex scene in it and you watch it and, and something starts to open up in you and then, and then your laptop starts speaking to you in like a really seductive voice next to you like, come on, just open it up. Just look around. Just take a peek. This is the moment. Now, it's interesting to me that it's in this moment that the scripture says 
that she waits around every corner. I emphasized that when we read the passage. Around every corner. Here's something I've learned about temptation. Temptation always lives in the corners. It always lives in the corners. In the corner of your mind, out of the corner of your eye, in the corner of your thoughts. That's where temptation lives. I wonder right now, what corner does temptation linger in? Is there something hanging out in one of your corners? That thought about that person, that desire to go back to that thing, that longing to pursue, just hanging out in the corners. In the corners of your mind, I'm just really trying to get her to sleep with me. In the corners of your mind, you're thinking, well, what would that be like? In the corners of your mind, you start to entertain. Now, it's out of this place that something unexpected happens. Look at verse 13. It says, she seizes him and kisses him. Rockets just went off, right? Lights just came on. She seizes him and she kisses him. It's a flood of emotion. There's a rush. And then look what happens next, verse 14. She says, I had to offer sacrifices and today I have to pay my vows. So I have come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly. I have found you. What's happening here? The first thing that happens is this girl starts explaining how spiritual she is. She went to the temple. She offered some sacrifices. And you're thinking to yourself, well, she can't be bad. She's a good girl, right? She can't be bad, or some of you, you're a young lady here, you're dating a guy, you're like, well, he can't be that bad of a guy. He's such a nice person, right? He's such a nice guy. And you start to justify a relationship, even though Christ says, pursue those who love Christ more than they love you. And you say, oh, I don't know, she's such a nice girl, he's such a nice guy. And then look at the next thing she says. She says, I came out to meet you. Wow, that was thoughtful. She respects me. Yeah, all day I've been looking for you, right? I've been looking for you. Wow, that makes me feel kind of special. You know, my wife doesn't really respect me anymore, but she respects me. You know, I've been looking for the right guy for so long, I can't seem to find him, but he respects me. I've been looking for you. Take a look at what happens next. It gets even more intense. Verse 16, everybody doing okay so far? Yeah, you're like, yeah, this is my last Sunday. Okay, I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egypt, Egyptian linens. I've perfumed my bed, bath, and beyond with myrrh, aloes, cinnamon, all types of stuff. Come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. All night long. And let us delight ourselves with love. Why? For my husband is not at home and he has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at the full moon. He will come home. That means he's got basically a month that he's going to be gone. It's going to be a while. And if you do this with me, no one will know. No consequence. We can pursue this and no one will even know. You You can just sleep with her and no one will know. You can just look at porn night after night. It's not going to hurt your marriage. It's not going to hurt your family. It's not going to kill your future. No one will know. No one will know. And your mind starts to magnify the pleasure, right? Let's take our fill of love until morning. We are going to make love for eight hours. Some people are like, really? No. (laughs) Not really. See, if you need a loophole for your conscience, 
you'll find a spiritual, religious girl, a good girl. You'll find a nice boy, a nice person. If you need a loophole for your conscience, that's for sale. If you need exaggerated pleasure to kind of push you over the edge, well, that's fine. They'll find some exaggerated pleasure. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be, I know you've done it before and it wasn't worth it, but this time it's going to be worth it. It is definitely going to be worth it. If you need that, if you need the feeling of importance, someone, something, something will come along that tells you that you're important like you need to know. See, I've found that temptation lives in the corners of our minds, out of the corner of our eye, but then temptation is always selling you an illusion. It's selling you an illusion. It's trying to tell you something that's not in fact true. It's trying to teach you or trick you to buy something. And some of us in the room right now, you've been buying for years. You've been buying what temptation has been selling for a long, long, long time. And you know as well as I do that it just doesn't pay the way it says it will. Verse 21, it says, with much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. And then look what happens next. All at once, look at that phrase, all at once he follows her. It's amazing to me how quickly a person's life can be destroyed. How quickly a marriage can be you can crumble right before your eyes. How quickly a pure, young, single person can ruin their future. It's amazing to me how quick it can happen all at once is the way it's described in Scripture. He follows her and now he uses three analogies that don't resonate to quite the same degree as they did in that day. But we'll pull them apart. It says, he, follow her, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. As a stag is caught fast till the arrow pierces its liver. At a, as a bird rushes into a snare. You've probably, unless you're kind of a YouTube junkie, have never seen any of those three things happen. But when in back in the day they would slice the throat of a cow or an ox, it was a brutal moment. The cow would be led along, completely ignorant that they were about to die, and then in a moment's time, the cow is just like, grass, grass, can I have some more grass? Totally normal, and then the man just takes out the knife, <laughs> cuts his esophagus in half, it falls to the ground and bleeds out in a matter of moments. That's what he's describing here. He's saying that this, this animal is ignorant and unaware, a powerful, beautiful animal with all of its future ahead of it, and instantly it dies. It's killed. It loses its life, and it's clueless on the way. And this is where the story lands. Verse 23, he does not know. He does not know that it will cost him his life. just like, I don't know, it's been hard. I'm not hurting anybody. A little bit of flirting. We're going to get married eventually. I mean, we can just, we can just sleep together now. And then you don't know why you're emotionally cold. Why you feel far from God. Why you can't seem to trust anybody. Why you keep battling with that fear. You don't know why you're lonely and you feel empty. Maybe it's because you're emotionally dull. You don't know why you can't stop thinking about that abortion. Why the kids you have don't seem to really connect with you. Why you frequently feel incomplete and you have to go from person to person. Why your insecurities keep propelling you into destructive relationships. Maybe it's because you're relationally dying. But the most dangerous piece of all is that you're pushing God away. That when you choose to ignore his two roads, you push him away and you create 
an iron ceiling between you and him so that when you throw up your prayers, they just bounce back and he feels far away and the peace you once had, you don't have anymore. And the joy you once knew, it's not the same anymore. And you find yourself feeling far from God, not realizing that you're spiritually dying, flirting with hell. It will cost you your life. One thing we see in the text about temptation is that temptation always hides the consequences. It hides the consequences, church. It doesn't tell you what it's going to cost you. It convinces you that it will cost you nothing. And it's a scam. It's a lie. There's a young man here right now that you're following the lie. And God wants to set you free. You're a woman, you're 50-something years old, and you're still chasing the lie. God is not trying to steal your pleasure. He's trying to maximize it. Look at what he says in verse 2 in the beginning of this. He says, keep my commandments and always get half of what you could have had. No, 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 no. Keep my commandments, but never experience the fullness of pleasure in life. Keep my commandments and always feel like you're bound in chains. No, 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 that's not what he says. He's saying, no, you gotta, you got to see this. I know it might seem like it's limiting. I know it might seem like there's only two roads. I know it might seem like you're going to miss out. But I'm telling you, I promise you, keep my commandments and live. It doesn't just say survive. It says live. Live life fully. Live life abundantly. No joy that others never know. No peace that others never know. I can tell you I'm not a perfect person. I've been married to my wife for 12 years. By God's grace, we've been 100% faithful to, it, to each other. We got married. Married as virgins, and I can tell you now, 17 and a half years together, married as virgins in 12 years, just with one another, there's never been more joy, not less, more joy in our relationship than there is today in Jesus' name. Wake up, friend, you're getting scammed. You get it. You say, Justin, nobody does that. Actually, some people do that, and it's worth it. Is it easy? No. Is it natural? Sometimes not, but it's supernatural, and it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I've got boundaries. I've got some boundaries. I've got some boundaries. God's not trying to steal your pleasure. He's trying to maximize it. He's trying to maximize it. You're here today. You're single. You're not missing out. You think Jesus missed out? You think the Apostle Paul missed out? No, no, no. God may have you in a season of singleness for a long time or a short time. But you're not missing out. God has great plans for you, and your life gets to display his sufficiency in a unique and powerful way. And he will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet you. It won't always be easy, but he will meet you. You're married. You say it's challenging. It's a struggle. Well, that's because marriage wasn't actually all about you being happy. It was about you becoming more holy. And as you have to wrestle with the junk in your own life and the junk in your, par in your, in your partner's life, what you will discover is that it makes you more like Christ. And in becoming more like Christ, you actually become happier. If you pursue happiness directly, it will always elude you. But if you pursue holiness directly, you'll find happiness as a byproduct. you for that terrible, terrible clap. So today, amen. Today I want to outline for you four boundaries that will change your life. Maybe you find in your heart as we go through these that you already have three, or maybe you don't have any of these boundaries, but I want to give you four boundaries that will change your life. And since this is the fourth habit, 
there needs to be four boundaries because I'm just that way, okay? So there's four boundaries, and I want to give them to you quickly here. The first one is this, the boundary of my brokenness. This is a crucial boundary. You must start here. If you want to live free from temptation and victorious in life, if you want to know the joy that God has already prepared for you in your sexuality, it's not by experimenting and trying a thousand things. Many of you, you've already tried that. Many of us, we've already said, yeah, I've tried that, I've done that. It's not doing what you thought it would do. You must start with the boundary of your brokenness. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. He says, I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. In other words, I'm just broken. Like, I want to do what's right, but I find myself allured to what is not going to benefit me. Why do I keep doing this? You keep doing it because you're broken. You have to get to a place where you realize that you can't trust yourself sexually. That it's just not follow what you think is right. No, what you think is right will kill you. I've got to see that I am broken. I don't need a band-aid. I need a heart transplant. There's something wrong with my inner person. That something wrong is called sin. And the freedom from sin comes when you acknowledge your brokenness. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'll give them the whole kingdom. You must acknowledge your own spiritual poverty. See, God, I can't do this. I can't break the porn addiction. I can't stop flirting with that person. I can't wishing I was with someone else. I can't stop, God. I can't stop this. I don't trust myself. And when you do that, you're on the road to freedom. That's the first boundary. My own boundary. My own brokenness. God, I can't do this without you. And I wonder today, have you recognized how broken you are? Have you recognized how untrustworthy you are in this area? Because that's the beginning of freedom. That's the beginning of freedom. The second boundary is this, the boundary of accountability. The boundary of accountability. You wonder why this guy was wandering around at the end of the day by himself with nowhere to go and nothing to do. Because he had no accountability. He, who knew that he would be out wandering by her corner? No one knew. That was his problem. He hadn't let anyone else in. And because of that, he was easy prey for temptation. What is accountability? Many people struggle with this. We've helped hundreds of people discover a life of accountability. Here's what accountability functionally is. It means that I find someone who is spiritually mature and godly, who is of the same sex as me. So a man for a man, a woman for a woman. I find that person and I ask them, and they have to be a person living in victory and freedom. I ask that person, could we start an accountability relationship? Which means that when I am struggling with sexual temptation or sin, I'm going to confess that struggle to you and I'm going to help. I need you to help me walk through freedom. And so after I commit some sexual sin, I'm going to share it. But before I commit some sexual sin, I'm going to share the temptation so that together we can walk free from the temptation. Look at what we're told in James. Thank God for James chapter 5. Such a powerful verse about the, the uh, anointing that is released in our lives when we have accountability. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You may be healed. You don't have to confess your sin to everyone. We don't all want to know. But you do need to share it with someone, a godly person of the same gender that's living in victory that you can trust. You find that person, you start walking with that person. And sometimes, you know, when you start, if you're addicted to pornography or you're sleeping around, whatever it might be that's going on in your life, if that's where you are, you may need to talk with them every single day. And then it moves to every single week and then every two weeks. Whatever it takes to keep that thing in the light. Because fungus doesn't grow in the light, it grows in the darkness. Keep it in the light. Some of you guys know our operations pastor, and um, he's one of our elders here, Jeremiah. Jeremiah and myself, we've been accountable to one another in this area of sexual purity for, for over a decade now. 
And by God's grace, God has kept us so that we're devoted to our wives, living godly lives, experiencing the joy and the peace. But listen, I know I'm broken, and I know I need that boundary of accountability for the rest of my life. So do you. So do you. So do you. Come on, turn to the person you neglected and tell them, I've got boundaries. I've got some boundaries. Do you have accountability in your life? Why not? Oh, I just can't find the perfect person to be my accountability partner. Well, that person doesn't exist. They don't exist. Ask God, and he will provide someone. He will open the door, and you're going to have to take a step of courage. And here's another thing about accountability. It doesn't work when you lie, and it doesn't work when you're vague. Hey, I'm just struggling with struggles. Well, what's going on, man? Man, it's just been a struggly struggle day, man. All right, well, you know, what's the temptation? Where's it kind of slipping in? Oh, man, it's just been, it's been brutally brutal, brutal struggle, struggle. Like, come on. You have to be honest. It's embarrassing. And then after you get past the embarrassment, you get freedom. Verse 27, look how this thing ends. It says, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That's how the whole story ends. What a nice, happy ending that is. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. It's going somewhere. It's going somewhere. Now, you set up the boundary of consequence, right? Or set up the boundary of brokenness so you can see the consequences. Then you set up the boundary of accountability. And now what we have to see is that you've got to get good at turning the clock forward. This is an important practice if you want to be free in your thinking and in your life sexually. So you've got to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know that temptation is going to tell me that there's no consequence. I know that temptation is going to tell me it's going to be fine because we're going to get married later. I know that temptation is going to say this or that to me. But hold on, hold on. Wait a second. What is the impact on my relationship? Relationship with God. Let's play this out. What benefit do I obtain from this? Hold on. Do I have increased peace and joy in my life with God or decreased peace and joy because of this? What about my spouse? How is this going to affect them? What about my future spouse? Let me see in my mind what the future will look like if I follow this road. What will it do to my calling? You look at the scriptures and you see a man like Samson. Maybe you don't know his story. You should learn it. Samson was called by God to do great things for God. And yet, in the midst of his great things, he had a problem. He was a sex addict. And so he kept going from woman to woman to woman. And eventually Samson compromises his calling and dies as a blind fool in prison because he could not keep himself in self-control. He compromises his whole life. You look at David and the carnage that breaks out in his family just because he has one night with Bathsheba. All the different pain that comes into his family tree because of that one decision. You look at Judah and the shame that comes on his life. You could all look through the Bible. And then you look at a man like Joseph, a man who is tempted sexually. Maybe you know the story. He's tempted by a beautiful woman to sleep with her, and she tells him the whole thing. She says, no one will know. It won't be a problem. He denies her, says, I will not do it, and then gets thrown in jail because she accuses him of trying to rape her. And so it doesn't seem fair, but from that prison, he then gets elevated to the highest place of responsibility in all of Egypt, ends up saving the world from a famine. But I can tell you something. If Joseph had compromised with that woman, he would have eventually gotten found out and executed. And he would have never been there to save the world. I am telling you, that little pornography is costing you your calling. The boundary of a future picture. That's the third boundary. The boundary of a future picture. Where is this going? And is it worth it? The boundary of a future picture. There's one more boundary that's critical. We see it in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. 
So the power of lust, the power of lust that seems so uncontrollable, that desire, that hunger, that longing, that pursuit of sexual pleasure that seems so uncontrollable can be overcome when I see myself in Christ. That's what he says there. He says our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. In other words, my identity is now in Jesus. And so when Jesus died, I know this is weird for our minds, but when Jesus died in the eyes of God, I died with him. And in dying with him, my old self was severed from my new self. And so now when Jesus rose again and I placed my faith in Christ, that resurrection life lives in me. And I'm no longer bound to my old sinful self. I'm now bound to Christ who lives in holiness. Therefore, I have an obligation in Christ to pursue the things of Christ. We call this the boundary of my new identity. Of my new identity. That's not who I am anymore. See, because freedom is really not just doing whatever you want. Some people think freedom is doing whatever you want. If you do whatever you want long enough, you'll find that you're a slave to the things you do. You're, you're a slave to your pride. You're a slave to your greed. You're a slave to your lust. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is the power to live holy. That's freedom. Freedom is the power to live holy. And when you live holy, it's only a matter of time till you live happy. Because God's holiness always leads to happiness. See, look at me today. God's not trying to rob you of joy. He's more committed to your joy than you are. He's more committed to your joy than you are. And God's boundaries widen your life. They expand your life. Habit four. Habit four. We've covered three habits so far. Daily time with God, sharing your faith weekly, being led by the Spirit. Habit four, a crucial habit to the Olympian spirit, a crucial habit to your world in 2017. Habit four is live accountable to sexual boundaries. That's habit four. This year, live accountable to sexual boundaries. Maybe this is new for you, or maybe you've heard this a thousand times, and yet if you're honest, in the corners, there's still some things growing. There's still some temptations brewing. Maybe you're here today and you say, Justin, nice sermon. Too late though. I've slept with like a thousand people. It's too late. I've been divorced three times. It's it's too late. I've had an abortion. I've had more than one abortion. It's too late. It's, I'm, I'm living with someone right now. I'm I'm addicted. I, I've been I've been addicted to porn for a long time, Justin. I just it's too late. a verse for you. This is God's word for you today. Jeremiah chapter 3 says this, return all of you who have turned away from the Lord. Now he will heal you and make you whole again. It doesn't say he will heal you and you'll be whole again. It says he will heal you 
and unload the encouragement. Stay with me down this way. Every location, Bridgeport, Middletown, Hartford, here in New Haven, just stand up with me. know your scenario, but God does. Maybe you're in that place just considering giving away your virginity before you're married. Maybe you're in that place where you've, you've had more partners than you can remember. Maybe you're in that place where you're finding sexual desires that are a thousand miles away from the two roads I just outlined. Maybe you're in this place and you feel like you're on the other side and you don't know how to get back. Maybe you're in this place where no one knows. No one knows. Secret things in the corners. Friend, that's not a way to live. It's costing you your joy. It's costing you your confidence. It's costing you your future. And it will cost you your life. You're like, I can't be. I can't be free. I can't do this. No, you can't. And that's why you need the boundary of your brokenness. And then open up to the boundary of accountability. And share with one person that you trust. And you'll start to experience healing. And then learn the boundary of a future picture. And the boundary of your new identity. And you'll find that living holy is possible how this verse ends. Jeremiah 3, 22. I pray that this would be your answer today. You say, yes, we are coming to the Lord. Why? Because he is our God. I wonder if you could just do that today. Wherever you're at, whatever impulse you've been fighting against, desire, you're here today, you feel like your marriage has been a letdown. Stay the course. See that God is sanctifying you through the process, and it'll make you more happy in the end. Whatever your circumstance is, would you just close your eyes right now? And I just wonder, in this moment, could you respond as the scripture says, yes, I'm returning. I'm giving you my whole heart. I'm coming to the Lord. He's our God. Let's pray together. God, come. We are a confused people, frequently bound. We followed every trail out into the jungle. And we see that they don't lead to life. God, we thought that your boundaries were for our lack. See now that they're for our benefit. God, we just come to you humbly, broken, in need of healing. Each and every one of us in our own story, we return to the Lord right now. Would you meet us as we gaze upon your cross?